You're listening to the sermon audio from Midtree Church. If you like what you heard or want to find out more information, please visit our website at midtreechurch.com. 1 John chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. Here's what it says. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of Him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey His commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep His commandments. And His commandments are not burdensome. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? 70% of the time in the entire book of 1 John that John uses the term faith or belief is in these passages and the following verses. Why am I setting that up for us? Because my prayer this morning, in fact, I'm just going to go into prayer now. Pray with me. God, may you make us a people of faith and belief. Make us a people that don't have to see something to know that it exists. And more than that, are able to live lives with, with conviction and enthusiasm to live out this great adventure that is so far beyond what we could ever earn or accomplish, but is gifted to us through faith and grace because of the work that was done on the cross of Christ, which you validated as a proof of purchase in raising him from the dead. And so this morning, as we sang resurrection songs, we are reminded that Easter is not the only time we celebrate the resurrection, but every time we gather, we are putting our faith in the fact that any who put their hope and trust in God and in the work of Christ on the cross That we have a hope that lasts longer than a sermon, and it lasts longer than a Sunday, it lasts longer than a lifetime, and for thousands upon thousands of years, we will be singing the glory that is the work of Jesus Christ done on our behalf. Thank you, God. We pray all of these things in Christ's name. Amen. I may have been sitting quietly, but inside I was panicking. It wasn't the only time that this happened. The... The guy who was standing up front was holding his Bible and he was talking about the realities of sin and the realities of hell. And he was talking about the cross of Christ and what Jesus paid. And while I was sitting in that chair, my heart was churning. And if, if I were to tell you that I was calm, I'd be lying. I was terrified. Things started running through my head like, what if I don't make it to the end of this sermon? My buddies were cutting up. They were drawing stuff, making paper airplanes. But I'm locked in hoping that I make it to the end of the sermon so that I can just come down to the altar, or I can say this little prayer, or I can hit my knees, or somebody will put their arm around me because I was terrified about the reality of what this guy was saying. And the reality is, he was saying all things that were true. That my sin was a very real thing. That my sin separated me from God. That is 100% true. But the sad part of that story is it happened to me over and over and over again. I probably alluded to that, I think, last week when we were talking about Easter. And, and I remember, I, I grew up in a church that preached the gospel. I knew it, but somehow responding to the gospel on my, on my ninth birthday, I got, I got baptized on my ninth birthday, I remember that. I responded to the gospel, but it was years after that where I would still hear a presentation of the gospel and something would begin churning in my, in my heart. And I would start saying, well, did I get all the words right? Like, 
What if I didn't say the right words? Or what if I didn't believe it enough? What if I didn't? And for me, believing always felt like squeezing a sponge. Like that's kind of how I'm at. Like I just wanted to believe. And what if my belief wasn't enough? And I would look back over the course of weeks or months or maybe even years and say, am I fruitful enough? And I realized that a lot of my faith was encompassed in this idea of enough. And if that was you, if it's you right now, I have very good news. I'm going to tell you about a Savior who gave his life so that you could respond to that message. But I want, especially those of us who grew up in the church and had that squeezing feeling, I want to set you free from fearing. Because God's desire is not that we operate in fear. And I think what happened was I got very well evangelized but not very well discipled. And this morning, as we look at this text, I think God is so good. And Jesus sort of takes us by the hand, or to use a term he would, he yokes us in with him and says, walk along with me and fear not. Not because you wouldn't wander, oh brother, you would wander, but because you are yoked to your Savior who will not. So so that is my hope this morning as we push in. And so let's look at verses 1 and 2 one more time. Now, John is typically not a linear arguer. In fact, most of the time, he, he's more like, we've talked about this, it's more like getting on a swing at the carnival that goes around and it also goes up and down. And he's on the swing with you and he's pointing out, well, this is love and this is community. Then you swing back around from a different vantage point. He's like, did you see this before? Have you noticed this before? But this morning, John gets incredibly linear and I want you to see this. All right, so uh, go ahead Crumpacker, I didn't even ask you how to do this. Did you do this in clumps or verse by verse? Okay, that's great. All right, so here we go. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. Everyone who believes, that is faith, that Jesus is the Christ. Christ means Savior. Y'all have probably heard people say, do you believe in the name of Jesus? Have y'all heard that a lot, believing in the name? I, I, I never understood what that meant. I was like, I believe his name is Jesus. Yes. And I was like, what do you want me to do with that? How much do I need to believe it? It's a short word. I can spell it very well. Whenever somebody says that, what they're saying is, do you believe he is who he said he was? That's what it means to believe in the name. When Jesus says, this is who I am, the question is, do you go, "Mm mm-hmm, I believe that you are the son of God who gave his life so that I could have hope eternal. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. Don't you love that word, everyone? Everyone. And going on, and everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. So John begins building this log- logical argument. He says, everyone, doesn't matter what uh, race, creed, uh, where you were born, whether you were born in the year 200 or the year 2200. Uh, that, that's a thing that hadn't happened yet. None of that matters. What matters is what are you believing and what are you putting your faith in? And so he he makes it very simple. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. New life has been given to you. Now he's going to build on that statement. And everyone who loves the Father, who believes, loves whoever has been born of him. This is actually one of the greatest texts when you want to talk about any type of reconciliation. Whether it's racial reconciliation, economic reconciliation, educational reconciliation. It's really, really quite simple. Anyone who loves God is also going to love those who love God because God has said, you're my kid and you're my kid 
And we know how it played out with Cain and Abel. But these are not those kind of kids. These are the kind of kids who were brought up both saying the same thing. Have you ever thought about this? This has just been running through my mind. Picture, if you would, Judas Iscariot, not the one Thaddeus. That one's all right. Name my son after that one. Judas Iscariot right here. And then you've got Peter. They would look very similar. They walked with Jesus for three years. They would have dressed, act, spoken very, very similar. Then over here, what I want you to imagine is on one side of Christ, a criminal. On the other side of Christ, another criminal. In that moment, they would have looked very similar. Both under punishment, both being publicly humiliated. But have you ever considered the fact that Peter is more like this guy than Judas? Have you ever considered the fact that this criminal is actually more like Judas than he is like this criminal? Because who we actually are has nothing to do with our hair. It has nothing to do with how we look, where we spend our money, where we spend our time, what your house looks like, or what state you were born in. The most important thing about you and the thing that most unites you to people is what you love. And I'll prove it. You can get two people that don't look or act very much alike But if they're yelling the same team on Saturday afternoon, they don't seem to care a bit. And if it can be true about college football, I'd be willing to bet Jesus is a little bit bigger than that. And so that is what God calls us to in this family. And this is what I I think the, the text would really hit those of us who wrestled sitting in that seat in this squirmy, sponge, squealing type, squeezing type of a feeling. Point number one, faith is both the door and the floor of our relationship with God. Faith, belief, is both the door, it's what we enter in through, and the floor, the thing that we stand upon for all of our days. That's what faith is. And this is what I missed. I knew that faith was the door. I knew that I had to believe. But I walked through it, and I got to the other side, and I was like, now what? I know the gospel. What's the gospel plus? What's the gospel and? And the Bible's like, no, it's the gospel. And then it's the gospel. And then it's the gospel. And I did not realize, and reading this text reemphasizes that Jesus is not just the door, though he says that. He is not just the gate, though he says that. He is also the firm foundation. He is also the rock of our hope. He is also the cornerstone. Faith is not just the door that we come through. It is what we stand upon, which is why if your expectation is to move beyond the gospel, that you needed a savior, that God provided a savior, that you responded to that savior who did what you could not, you're going to struggle. It's not that the Bible has nothing else for you, but everything stands upon that. Is everybody tracking with me? I can't tell if you're in deep thought or if you're just all not following me at all by your faces. You understand what I'm saying here. And we know that what God calls us into, he calls us through the door of life that is covered by his blood, just like the Passover lamb, pointing back to Ephesians. What a great illustration. But we also stand in this new life. Romans 6 puts it this way. And uh, those of you ladies who are about to get baptized, this is a great text to think of this morning. Romans 6, 4. We, speaking of believers, we were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death. Think about the image of baptism. You're up. And then you go down, just like Christ went down into death. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that why? Why did he die? Why does he call us to die to sin? Just as Christ was raised from the dead 
by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Walking through the door covered by the blood of Christ moves us into a new way of living. Faith is both the door and the floor. But how do we do this? Because if you go ahead and go back to that, to, to our scripture here, verse 2 says, by this, we know that we love the children of God. Remember what he said? Everybody who loves God, who has belief, becomes a child of God. Everybody who becomes a child of God loves the children of God. Do you see him building this linear argument? And then he answers the question, well, how do I know if I love the children of God? Well, verse 2, by this, we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments, when we keep his commands. If my son, since my son, is doing much better in math right now, or much better in reading, I decide, you know what? I am going to show him. I'm going to express my love to him. I'm going to go. I'm going to get this awesome cake. It's going to have Avengers and stuff on it. He's going to love it. And then I bring it to him, and I hand it to him. And I'm like, I got you a cake. And he's like, Dad, I'm gluten-free. Okay, all of a sudden, there's a major problem. What is the problem? I want to show him love, but here's the thing. The expression of my love wasn't love because I didn't know him well enough to love him. You see, it was a great try. Husbands, we get off a lot of great tries, okay? But the point is, you can't love someone you don't know. Why does God give us his law? He doesn't give us his law to be a burden. I, I mean, there's no other way to say it, and his commands are not burdensome. By the way, months ago when I was reading this scripture, uh, thinking through 1 John, that stood out. I was like, oh my gosh, are people even going to believe that? God's commands are not burdensome. Amen? Go on, live your lives. Because my entire life, God's commands seemed awful burdensome. Everything I wanted to do, God was like, nah. And everything I was like, man, that sounds difficult. God was like, you should go and do that. And it's like, what is, how can we write God's commands are not burdensome? See, here's the difference in giving my son a cake with gluten or not. Keeping God's commands, which he gave us to tell us who he is. Keeping God's commands shows that we love him enough to know him. And express that, that love in a way that is actually loving. Okay? You know the difference when you've received that kind of love. You know the difference when you've shared that kind of love. But how do we deal with his commands are not burdensome? All right. Reality check. You're in your quiet time. Way to go. You were doing it. You're in your quiet time, and you come across a verse that says, God's commands are not burdensome. Do you just keep reading, or does that not, like, pause you a little bit? You trip. You're like, what? <laughs> I'm sure it's my version. What, what version of the Bible did I just pick up? Is this the message? What is happening here? Like, yeah, at some point, you're like, what is going on here? This is what I love about God's word. It never gets old. The gospel is what we enter through and it's what we stand upon. But there is so much that God builds upon it that we'll be enjoying it for all eternity. And his commandments are not burdensome. Number one. Just a little bit of education. You got to know who John is writing this to. He's writing the book of 1 John to believers in what is now Turkey. Around the city of Ephesus. And if he's writing this to believers. I think we can safely say that what I felt. What we feel when we're not living in this newness of life that the gospel brings. 
is a very burdensome living. Before we come to Christ and we read those Ten Commandments, it feels like a million pounds while you're trying to tread water in the deep end. I cannot do this. And you are absolutely right. So something must be changing. And we get the idea of what that is in the beginning of verse 4. His commands are not burdensome for. It means because. How are his commands not burdensome? And he says this. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. Now, let me hit pause here. There are three different ways that I can think of us dealing with burdens. Uh, throw up, throw up a, a picture for me. We'll go to this one. Okay. I think in terms of pickup trucks, because I drive a pickup truck. When I think of a burden, when I think of a load, I think of loading a pickup truck. The problem is nobody actually fills their truck up this way. This was the hardest picture for me to find. Because every guy in this room is like, no, I can put more on it. And then we just load it and load it and strap it because I'm not making a third trip if I don't have to. The way God calls us to move, his commands are not burdensome. But consider the words of Christ. This is Matthew 11. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden. That term heavy laden and burden are basically synonymous. So when 1 John says his commands are not burdensome, he's saying they are not heavy laden. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Wait a minute. I I thought I wasn't supposed to have weight on me. And now Jesus is saying, take my yoke upon you. Now, a yoke was uh, an object that was placed on a plow horse or an oxen so they could tether them to a plow that they would do something with the energy that God gave them and their strength. And Jesus says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. What they would do a lot of times is if there was a, a new young oxen, you know, some punk uh, oxen, and he was just trying to run around and root and chase after female oxen and stuff like that, they would go to the mature one, and they'd be like, time out, hot shot. And they would yoke him in next to the other one. And the more mature one would be like, come on, little guy. And they would, and they would just start moving together. Why? To train this young buck punk That he didn't get the freedom to do whatever he wants because he wasn't accomplishing anything. The yoke that Christ puts on us is a light burden because, and this is what I love and I think it is so gospel true. When we yoke ourselves to Christ, he doesn't just walk with us. He connects himself to us in such a way that when we want to walk away, he holds us firm. That's what I missed in my faith. I've walked away. I've strayed. No, 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 no. Yes, I need to look at my fruit. I need to work out my salvation with fear and trembling. But what Jesus says is, I am connecting myself to you. And if you want to veer, I am holding you to the path because I am the one who saved you through faith in the door. And I am the one who holds you up in that same floor of faith. You see, when we carry a light load, we actually accomplish something. We're we're given this message to take out. We actually hold the road when we're next to an experienced driver. And Christ carries us. But that's not the only way that we do loads. Matthew 23 puts it this way. All right, let's look at this next one. So this is how most of us drive. That's us. That's it. That's how it plays out. And you know it. 
Every guy in this room who's ever loaded a truck thought, I can put a little bit more on. And then you're like, oh, I left the bungee cords in the bottom. I can't even get to them anymore. All right? Then you have to go buy bungee cords. It's a whole thing. All right? This is how most of us do life. Now, the reason I'm putting this on display is I just want to remind you. Jesus said his yoke was easy and his burden was light. His desire for you is not to do this. And I think we can prove this biblically. Matthew 23. Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, the scribes and the Pharisees. So now we're moving from what Jesus says is the gold standard of laboring to what religion is going to say. And when I say religion, I mean any belief system or entity that says, if you want a right standing with God, then you need to do this. That is the definition, simply put, of religion. And that's exactly what these Pharisees were doing. Jesus said to the crowds of the disciples, the scribes and the Pharisees, sit on Moses' seat. So do and observe whatever they tell you. Honor those who are in authority over you, but not the works they do. They preach, but do not practice. They tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on people's shoulders. But they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. That's what religion would do to you. Every religion would do that to you. It'll say, just put a little more on. You'll feel like you're doing more. You'll feel better about yourself. Every religion is saying, I'm going to show you how to earn this thing that the Bible says you cannot earn. How do we know? Go ahead and cut back to that truck. How do we know if we're heavy burdened, if we're laboring? I would just say this. It's the difference in expressing love and earning love. That's the difference. Putting a few boxes in the back. Man, I'm expressing my love for a person. Yeah, I'll help you. Yes. Doing that, you're trying to prove something. And the point is, there was nothing we can... What are you going to prove to God? That, I mean, that's the question. What are we going to prove to God that shows that we are good enough to hang out with him for all eternity and all pleasure and delight? What do you do? How do you prove that to God? You can't. Here are some thoughts. How can you know if you're heavy laden? There, there's this great book written by a guy named Pete Scazzaro. You may be overburdened if, and this is just going to blow up the screen. There you go. Pick one. I, I was reading this and like super convicted a few weeks ago. And so you may be overburdened or trying to earn something if you can't shake the pressure you feel from having too much to do in too little time. If you're always rushing routinely fire off quick opinions and judgments, are fearful about the future, are overly concerned with what others think, are defensive and easily offended, are routinely preoccupied and distracted, consistently ignore stress, anxiety, and tightness of your body, feel unenthusiastic or threatened by the success of others. That's a big one. This is my least favorite. Routinely spend more time talking than listening. I, I, you can take that one off. That one's fine. Anyway. You want to know when I knew I was way driving the pickup truck that was overloaded and I wasn't trusting in the work of Christ but my own when I was excited when I got sick? That's when I knew. When I was like, oh man, being sick and having to stay in bed. I wasn't the kind of flu sick. You know what I'm talking about? It wasn't that bad. The kind of flu sick where you're just like, take me now, God, please just take me. Now, it wasn't that. It was, oh gosh, I can't like, uh, I feel crummy, blah, blah, blah. I'm just going to have to drink soup and watch Netflix. That's all I can do today. When that happened and I was like, awesome. I knew. I was overburdened. 
I, I say this because I think there's a disease in our culture of us trying to prove that we're enough. And the gospel would say to us time and time again, I'm not just the door you enter through, I'm the floor that you stand upon. Quit trying to earn it. I, I think of the fact that Sabbath was something that God gave his people in the Ten Commandments. And I think about the fact that God was saying, do you not see this is who I am? I took the seventh day off. Just so you know, I don't get tired I took the seventh day off. And think about the timing of that. When does God give them the law to reveal himself so that they can express their love to him? After they've been in slavery for 400 years. Every waking moment working. Their value being determined by what they could accomplish. And as soon as they come out of slavery, as soon as we come out of the slavery of our sin, or the slavery of us trying to earn, God says, Sabbath rest exists for you. That's what today is supposed to be. A rest. Foreshadowing heaven where it is eternal rest. But that's not the only way we drive. The other way that we drive is a little light loaded. Ephesians puts it this way. Ephesians chapter 4. Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. In other words, there is a way of walking that is futile. It accomplishes nothing. You can go ahead and throw that picture up. It's having nothing in your truck so that every time you stomp on the gas, all that happens is the tires spin out. You're going nowhere. You can't hold the road. Nobody's going to follow you because it looks like you're about to go off into a ditch anyway. And this is the way some of us seek to live lives. In the futility of our minds, they are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. Verse 19, they become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greed, to practice every kind of impurity. It's selfishness. It's saying, my life is going to be about me. I'm not carrying a load because I need to be able to say yes. It's, I'm sorry I'm speaking to the younger generation. I still think I fall into that. It's not wanting to say yes to everything and saying maybe. Because you're not sure if something better is going to come up. It's just not being the kind of person who puts a stake in the ground. Says this is who I am and this is what I'm doing. When Christ yokes us to himself, he gives us a, a mission that has eternal consequences. And he says walk alongside with me. It's, it's all the times I would hear someone in counseling say, my sin is not really that big a deal. Consider this person or consider that person. It's when age after age, year after year, you still haven't figured out what life is all about because you're making it about yourself. That's going to be an empty adventure. One day I'll do this. So back to our text. I think those are the three different ways that we can live. And the way that we can be overburdened either with our selfishness or with trying to earn. Verse 4. 4. Because everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. God's commands aren't burdensome because they flow from life-giving faith. Now that sounds really churchy. So let me explain what I mean. This is my favorite part. Because it blesses my socks off to think about. Most of us think. Just pick a sin. Don't say it out. Pick a sin that you struggle with. Tell your neighbor. All right, Don't. Pick a sin that you struggle with. If it's your spouse, they know. They'll fill, they'll fill you in, okay? Just pick a sin, something that you wrestle with, something that you struggle with, okay? If you're struggling with that, maybe selfishness, self-pride, self-pity, or lust. That should get about 80, 90% of us, okay? 
Think of a sin. Now, if you are a believer, you recognize that you should fight those things, right? We recognize that we should fight sin. Am I, are we all on the same page here? Can I get an up to down on that? Do we know we should fight sin? Okay. All right. So here is my question. Is overcoming or victory in that sin the result of following God's commands? Let me say it again. You don't have to answer out loud because nobody wants to get it wrong publicly. It's all right. Is overcoming that sin that you're thinking of, is overcoming that sin, is having victory in that sin the result of following God's commands? To read, to pray, to be in community. You don't have to answer out loud. I am so curious though, but don't. Here is what I think most of us wrestle with. We live very differently than we believe. And I want to set you free from living differently than you believe. Because for me, that was a terrifying way to follow Christ. It was an empty way. It was a fearful way to follow Christ. Most of us think about it this way. Sean, uh, do we have that little? Okay. Most of us think about fighting sin this way. Now, as I say this, I'm talking to believers at this point. If you are not a Christian, if what I've been saying, you're like, oh man, yeah, like I recognize that I need sin and I do need something about that. What you need to do is respond to the gospel in faith. And I'll talk about that in just a little bit. But it's basically saying, I know that I have sinned. And God, I ask that you would step in and deal with my sin through the cross where you put your punishment on Christ. But most of us who are Christians think about sin this way. We realize there's a sin. Man, I did that, said that, thought that again. And then what we do is we add action. Ramping up my Bible reading plan. I'm going to start praying, reaching out to my accountability partner. Are any of those things wrong? No. But the way that you think about it might be. And then we think, I'm going to follow God's command, and that will turn in to victory. Romans 1 tells us that the righteous will live by faith. So here's what I'm saying. When you do, uh, go back to that. When you do this, you're assuming the floor you're standing upon, and you're not recognizing it. So let me explain. So you've got that sin. The question isn't, should you read? The question isn't, should you pray? The question isn't, should you, should you be in community? Should you have times of solitude? Should you go after a Sabbath rest? My question is, why are you doing that? Why are you going to those things? Why is it that you're going to the word of God? Why is it that you're going to an accountability person? Overcoming isn't the result of following God's commands. The victory for that sin and every sin in your past and every sin in your future, the victory for that already occurred on the cross. Christ did the earning. Christ did the action. So what is left for us is to respond in grace, is to respond in faith through the grace that he has given us. But I'm using a lot of churchy words. So let me show you what I mean by that. Ephesians 2. Ephesians 2 verse 8. For by grace you have been saved. Grace is an unearned gift. You did nothing. You walked by and somebody's like, here you go. And you're like, oh, that's wonderful. That's what grace is. You didn't earn it. It just got handed to you. For by grace you have been saved through faith, through believing. You'll notice working has not come in at all. And this is not your own doing. Okay, so if we're thinking we're going to fight sin by working at it, after realizing we could never fight sin on our own, there's a problem. 
This is not your own doing. It's the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. And then check the switch. There's no working in that. It's grace. And then this. For we are God's work. We are hit. He's the one who did the work to build us. He's the one who did the work that allowed us to even respond in faith. We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So what it actually looks like is this. No. Yes. It's us realizing sin and then realizing the cross. It's us realizing, I thought that again. I did that again. I said that again. And instead of going to, I'm going to read, I'm going to pray, I'm going to do this. It's instead going to, Christ has already died for that. Christ has already bled for that. Christ was already buried for that. And God showed that his sacrifice was enough by bringing him back from the dead as a proof of his purchase of my soul. And then that turns into an expressing action. I'm not minimizing God's word. It is a sword. What I'm saying is, why did you pick it up? You picked it up because you believed it would serve. You believed it was the word of God. You believed it would help you fight sin. Prayer is powerful. But why did you pray? Because you believed in prayer. Community is massive in importance. Why did you go to that person and share? I struggled, I stumbled, I fell again. Why? Because you believed that that was what God was calling you to do. I want to show you this to close up because it trips me out. John 14, 15. All right. Now just read this verse yourself. Do you know what I do when I read verses like this? And it's how I know I need to preach this sermon to myself. When I read this... I don't read, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. What I say is, if I keep his commandments, then I love him. You see that? If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I immediately take that and I twist it. And I say, well, if I keep his commandments, then I love him. That's not what God's saying. All of a sudden, I'm putting my working before, my earning before my expressing. Check this one out. John 15, 14. You are my friends if you do what I command you. You know what I do? I say, if I do what God commands, and that means I'm his friend. That's not what his word says. His word says, if you're my friend, natural out of expression will be you doing what I command. There are really only three ways for us to live. Stokes, if you want to go ahead and come on up. We can act as though we don't need love or to be loved. Our tires can spin. We can be burdenless, a pointless existence that we call freedom but never get anywhere. Or we can do the opposite of that. We can try to earn love. We can load ourselves down and all of those around us with burdens of proof of our belief. They'll bend us. They'll warp us. They'll they'll wear us down. They'll cause collateral damage. Stuff will be flying off the back of the truck. Nobody can follow that person. Or we can enjoy a light load of expressing love, which holds us steady to the road. It accomplishes much. Everything arrives intact. And we set an example that other people can follow. God calls us in his word to recognize that we are not called to be an overburdened people. Christians 
do not, Christians do not earn a relationship with God. Christians have a earned relationship with God. And it was earned by Christ. Let's pray. Father, as, as we consider this text, and Lord, I, I, I remember when I was reading over it, preparing, my heart just stopped when I read that your commands are not burdensome because if I'm honest with myself I can live like they are but if I'm reminded of the fact that I could never live a clean enough life to earn your love to earn a right standing with you then I should be able to remind myself now many years after coming to Christ that the newness of life that you offer us through faith doesn't require me to earn now any more than it did then. And instead, I can be yoked to Christ. Walking step by step, Him holding me firm when I want to wander, knowing that He will get me to the end of the road. Because He is faithful. When I am not, He is faithful. When we falter and fail, You are so may we be a people set free from trying to earn and become a people who are free to express the love of the grace of Christ that was shown to us. And Father, there is little example better than baptism. And so as our sisters prepare, I, I pray God for all of us in this room that you would remind us for those of us who have been baptized of that day of the celebration, as we said, I am no longer doing life my way. My tires aren't spinning. I'm not loading myself up trying to earn anything. I am attaching myself to Christ. I am buried with Him and raised with Him in newness of life. And Father, I pray that as they come out of that water, they would be reminded, as all of us should be today, that you call us to a yoke that is easy, a burden that is light rest for our souls in Christ's name.